Hello and welcome to Sit Down with RHS, a podcast from the Royal Hospital School where we open the school doors to get to know members of the RHS community. And in this academic year, we're focusing on the theme of global awareness and citizenship. So we'll be hearing how the school community is growing in areas of global diversity, inclusivity, sustainability and awareness of global issues. Today we're sitting down with Matt Routledge, Director of Learning at RHS, who is the man in charge of all things teaching and learning, including staff development and keeping abreast of the latest educational research. In this wide-ranging interview, we hear what drew him from his home in Lancashire down to RHS and how he's bringing in issues of global awareness into the school. I'll say nothing more and hand over to your host, Arabella Northey, speaking to Matt Routledge. So welcome back to another podcast to sit down with RHS. And today I am joined by Matt Routledge, who is the Director of Learning. So Matt, um, you have been responsible, I think, for teaching and learning at RHS for how many years now? So I started this job in 2018, but I've been with the school since 2014. Wow. Okay. And what first brought you to RHS? I know you have got a love of classics. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. I'm not from the Southeast, as as you might be able to tell from the accent. I'm from Lancashire originally, uh, Uh and so is my wife. And I I was working as a teacher of classics and then a head of classics up in Uh, Merseyside and then RHS needed a head of classics I saw the advert and and I knew I wanted to continue as a head of classics and I looked at the school and it was it was completely different to the school I was at previously I'd never done boarding before Uh, it was much more rural as opposed to teaching in a sort of built-up environment and I came down to interview and just absolutely fell in love with the place and uh, so he came down here we sort of we said okay we'll we'll see what it's like for a couple of years you know it's very different it's far away from our families but uh you know it's been nearly 10 years now and uh, we haven't looked back oh my goodness amazing yeah I was just well it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about your experiences in Merseyside what was it like what type of school were you working at and what had drawn you into teaching in the first place um so previously I was working I, I was working in the independent sector I was working at independent mm-hmm. day school uh, an all boys school and an all girls school before I came here so this is also my first co-educational school as well as my first boarding school and I think I suppose just in terms of what brought me into teaching that I think there's generally sometimes a bit of a cliche that perhaps you know I, I've always wanted to be a teacher you know that profession had a calling to me and I, I don't think that's completely untrue but I think I'd be lying if I said I you know I was seven or eight years old and growing up going I, I just want to teach Latin that's all I want to do and it was something that you know I, I've always been interested in in the classics I learned it at school I did it all the way through my secondary education and uh, carried it on into university and uh, as I was getting towards the end of my degree I I went back to my old school and I was chatting to my, my old teachers and and it was sort of suggested, you know, that the teaching might be something that I would want to consider. And, and I didn't dismiss it out of hand. I don't think I'd ever said I don't want to be a teacher. But then the more I thought about it, the more I became really sort of interested in the, the prospect of being a teacher. So I went on and I, I applied for teacher training. I did my teacher training at King's College London and just going through teacher training. And then as soon as I was in front of a class and working with children, i just absolutely fell in love with the profession. It's it is all I have done since since graduating university, and I can't really see myself doing anything else. And what was it about standing in front of the class, Matt, that you went, "This feels fulfilling," or "This is something that I, I know is the right thing to do"? I, we ask this question quite a lot when we interview people, actually, yeah. and, it, it, and and I suspect that I'm going to give a very similar answer, which is um, 
there's an element of of the penny drop, like that moment mm-hmm. where you sort of, you're standing in front of a class and and you see the moment of realization where something clicks for them and and you kind of know that you're sort of responsible for that and there's there's an, a, a really it's a really powerful feeling but i think there's a little bit more to it than that as well because i suppose that's just instruction and the thing that really clicked for me i said you know i was young when i trained i was i was 21 turning 22 when i was training to be a teacher so in some cases not that much older than a lot of the children in front of me and i think it was the opportunity to be unashamedly nerdy about something to, to you know no, to, to you know to talk in front of a group yeah. of people that about something that I was passionate about and mm-hmm. as soon as you start to see some of that passion coming back at you or being mirrored then it, it, it's incredibly addictive <laughs> um, and and I suppose not only to see people's make sort of concrete progress in terms of what do they know and can they apply it but also to to feel that you are at least in part responsible for pupils developing their own passions their own interests and their own intellectual curiosity is is hugely rewarding and 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 not really something that I would wager you'd find in a lot of other jobs well I'm glad you touched on that idea of that sort of nerdy (laughs) and that coming back at you because obviously classics for some people probably for some people listening to this who Mm. maybe last did Latin a long time ago and maybe maybe don't have the sort of most fond memories but also other people you know a lot of schools don't bother doing it at all anymore Mm. give give come on break it open what is what is it about kind of classic latin what what was it what is it that sort of lights the fire and makes you think yeah this is this is something that i really want to yeah. go further deeper with education and teach so I, I suppose the first thing is is the breadth within it because we we sort of just lump classical subjects together as classics but even just with under that umbrella you have the languages of sort of latin and classical greek and then you also have the classical civilization and the ancient history side of things and within ancient history and classical civilization, you've got two very, very distinct civilizations in Greek and Roman, spreading a period of history that might go from, you know, the Bronze Age through to, I suppose, you know, Constantine and beyond. So you've got, you know, thousands of years, two cultures, a wide geography, language, literature, art, history, politics, religion, architecture, all of those different things. And one of the it has a bit of an unfair reputation for being hard or difficult and inaccessible and and it couldn't really be further from the truth there is there's so much relevance in the classical subjects to the modern world and through through history through propaganda through through art and art influence and part of us i suppose my draw to teaching the classics is to try and push back at that stereotype that it has to be sort of dull and archaic and only for the very very bright uh, or or indeed you know the ultra elite because it's simply it's simply not true and i think the thing about it as well is that it's a subject that makes me recognize my own ignorance that it's so broad uh, that there's so much about the classical world that i just don't know you know i my latin is better than my greek my Areas of expertise are more Roman history. Uh, my Greek history is not as good. There's lots I don't know. But then I teach Greek art uh, at A level here, uh, and so there are aspects of Roman culture, perhaps like say Roman art, that I'm less comfortable with. But my Roman history, but within a, a sort of a hundred year period, you know, I can go from the Gracchi sort of one three three through to Nero, sort of you know sixty eight AD. That that's my comfort zone. But then there are other areas that are less secure, and I think that. You know, we talk to the pupils all the time about lifelong learning. 
and the importance of seeing learning as a continuous process that, that, that goes beyond your time at school. And classics, I suppose, is a subject that allows me to live that and I suppose model the things that we would like to see in our pupils. Amazing. I mean, what, is there something specifically, Matt, that you're looking into or you're delving into at the moment that you don't know? Um, w- within the classical world. Yeah. So I know that I would like to know more about particularly sort of Mycenaean art and mm. Mycenaean archaeology. And it's it's something that, because I suppose like Mycenae and the Trojan cycle sort of underpins so much of the classical world. It has its tendrils in, in everything. And it's still an area that I suppose I'm not quite as secure as I'd like to be on it. So uh, I suppose when, when time allows, uh, it's the kind of thing that I'd like to dig into a little bit more, yeah. Is is that going to be your sabbatical project? Do you think uh, it could it could it could be it could be? But then I need to I need to sort of get better at my Greek as well. That's yeah. the other thing, I suppose. Okay, well, for all of those people out there <laughs> listening, uh, they, you know, here, here's a challenge: take it up. Okay, well, I mean, obviously, so there you are, passionate about uh, classics, but you're also the director of learning. So, what actually does that involve, and what is that role? What is the purpose of the role? So, sort of director of learning here is. It was it was a role that was sort of, that was created within my time at the school and and as I said before I was I was head of department and I saw it advertised and I I thought it just ticked so many boxes as to the things that I was passionate about within education. Primarily, I I work with our deputy head academic and my main focus is on the quality of teaching and learning within the school. So it does involve working with our staff and areas of staff development and CPD to to improve their classroom practice, but also. It involves working a lot with pupils and digging into aspects of pupil skills, pupil attitudes and behaviors and getting them, I suppose, to reflect on the types of things that bring out the best in them to recognize that it's not all about, you know, teachers delivering content and that pupils are passive consumers of it. It's about getting pupils, I suppose, to take a a little bit more ownership of, of their learning as well. So uh, there's that, I suppose, the the design and the teaching of, of study skills to pupils, whether that is sort of revision focused at the upper end of the school to, to, to as I say, broader working habits lower down the school. Uh, and also things such as uh, academic peer mentoring. So we have some of our senior pupils that then work with some of our younger pupils in terms of academic coaching and mentoring. I mean, it's interesting because when you talk about learning and actually for mm. some people thinking, you know, education for them was probably very much like that sort of direct instruction, receive it, get directed. Yeah. You know, that that shift, why do you think that's important for your students perhaps to take on that ownership and that reflection? I think it partly comes from the fact that you can't go through life simply passively consuming everything you, you you at some point in your life have to take ownership of something and that that might be the way that you operate in a professional environment it may be the way that you self-educate on a range of topics um, it may be the way that you you know carry yourself socially uh, and, and so it's important for pupils to enjoy their education like I say to pupils all the time ultimately we want the same thing which is we want you to succeed and we want you to enjoy the process of learning and you only truly really enjoy something if you have a stake in it and if you're actively engaged in it and you know if if we're talking about developing pupils that can go out there and be you know real agents for change in the world uh, and to go out there and to hopefully to to lead other people to inspire other people to make a difference and to sort of stay true to the values that they hold 
they need to be prepared to play an active role in that rather than just assume that it's something that will happen to them. And so getting pupils to think early on about what it is that I do, how is it that I learn, what is it that motivates me, what is it that brings the best out in me? You know, these are really important questions that in some respects, a lot of adults struggle to answer those questions. And, and so hopefully getting them to think about them early on, they may not necessarily have all the answers straight away, but at least it starts that process off. Amazing. I mean, and actually that sort of brings me to that because I know one of the big things this year talking about reflecting on that and being prepared for the sort of future world and being globe agents of change is the RHS focus this year, isn't it, on global yeah. awareness, sustainability and citizenship. And I think you've been tasked to coordinate this initiative. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. feels like a massive, I mean, I've spoken to quite a lot of people <laughs> as we've sort of sat down on other podcasts about mm. what they've done and sort of some of the some of the ways it's working for them. But what progress, I mean, is that a good question to ask? I mean, I've heard quite a lot of your job is probably about <laughs> impact, but also maybe some examples of, well, yeah. Yeah. I, so I think you're right. It is. It's not a tricky one to articulate, I suppose, in the sense that I feel that it's something that as a school we have always done very well. Mm -hmm. I think that it's fundamentally a part of the ethos of the school. And a lot of what I see my role in this is is about the visibility of it not necessarily to an external audience, but internal visibility within the school community. There's lots of excellent things going on, but there might be sections of the school community that are perhaps not as aware of it as they could be. And as a result, kind of don't always recognize just how much is happening within the school community. So, you know, we, we have already established things like we have, you know, a thriving MUN society mm -hmm. um, that runs all the way from year seven. We host a conference for year sevens, uh, you know, at the start of their secondary school career, all the way up to A-level where we have pupils that lead the secretariat for that. And, you know, that's a society that routinely looks at complex global issues. You know, they've been looking at COP27, they've been looking at uh, geopolitics and war, sustainability, climate crisis. You know, those are already topics of debate. So we have things like the MUN, we have things like our, our eco committee, and we have our diversity committee that identify important dates and events within the year. And we also have lots of representation within the curriculum. And I suppose part of what I see my role in this doing is to, is to sort of tie it all together and to funnel it into a way that anyone, I suppose, can see what's happening in these different areas at mm -hmm. any given time. So we've launched uh, RHS Global, which is going to be a sort of periodic newsletter that sort of collates uh, events that are happening around the school. We've got uh, pupils and staff uh, authoring articles on it that are not necessarily related to their subject areas, but that are on global issues of importance to them. Uh, we highlight upcoming events in that. We have sort of cultural days within things like the canteen, the dining hall. We have used our international pupils to lead sessions to younger pupils in the school about their own culture, their own language, uh, and, and to, to sort of educate more pupils about, I suppose, the, the diversity within the school community. We've had a, a fantastic art exhibition recently for the Black History Month, and I know that that's going to be followed up later in the year with a sort of a follow-up day that explores the idea of Black History Month beyond just looking at it within a month of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and there are lots of other things that I suppose are in, are in the pipeline. And I don't particularly want to talk about them too much because they're still very much in the planning phase. Yeah. But okay. I suppose identifying ways of bringing the whole school community mm -hmm. together and being able to, I suppose, amplify what we already do 
as well as build on some of the things that we already do very well. Uh, and just sort of like one f- final thing that I might just mention is that, you know, I'm in touch with like a number of our alumni. Uh, you know, we have a really strong alumni community, many of whom are now working in, you know, a diverse range of fields. And uh, so we have one coming up uh, soon. We have a relatively recent alumna uh, who works in the sustainability sector of fashion and so he's going to come and deliver some workshops to different year groups on you know, sort of microplastics in particular within the fashion industry but then to perhaps do a lecture to some of our older pupils with a bit of a Q&A afterwards uh, so you're right there's lots of different things and uh, sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to say this is exactly you know what what Matt does but I'm, I'm really excited but <laughs> I know it sounds really weird but um, but I'm really excited about the things that are coming up and hopefully yeah. If uh, more of our community see the things we're doing and if more people outside of RHS see the work that's going on here, then I will count that as a job well done. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, so many different things. And as you say, that actually so much of it's doing it together and it's about making it explicit and tying it together. And, you know, what is the impact? What would you like to see, Matt, like say in a few years time? Like, what does that whole school commitment look like, do you think? I think if I was to look back at this in a few years time and say, well, what would it look like? almost in a way people wouldn't be talking about it because it's just inherent. It, it, mm-hmm. it becomes a, a thing that is natural and organic and already highly visible within the school community. And I suppose that we would have a reputation uh, both regionally and hopefully nationally as being a school that has an ethos that's grounded in preparing pupils for the wider world, potentially to live and work internationally, to recognize that there are complex global problems out there that have complex solutions and that they shouldn't be afraid to want to try to tackle them and to be agents of change in that. And I think that having a culture where service and a strong sense of community is promoted, I think is a key part of that. I think pupils leave RHS looking to say, okay, what can I give to this world rather than what can I take from it? Well, I'm going to, I think there's nothing, I think you've articulated that incredibly well. And I, you know, all of that doesn't, it fits in with the vision and the passion of everyone at RHS and particularly speaking to the young people. I mean, you obviously clearly have a passion yourself for being globally aware. So how, how yeah. do you personally, I mean, obviously, because I know you've, there's so much going on, but how yeah. do you also share that interest um, with your pupils so that they kind of gain an appetite yeah. for it? I think there's lots of different levels to this. I think the first one quite simply is you model the behaviors that you want to see in the pupils mm-hmm. in front of you. If you want pupils to be politically engaged, you need to be politically engaged. If you want pupils to be comfortable to talk about complex issues, you have to be comfortable talking about complex issues with them. But of course, there's, there is that big caveat there, which is that the position of responsibility that you know we have as teachers means that that we, we can't influence, I suppose. We can't sort of project our own views in that way. And so I suppose the way that I go about it is that there are different aspects. So just within my own subject area, there are lots of natural links and connections between Latin, Greek, and other languages, some of which I can speak a bit of and others which I can't, but I recognize the overlap and just making constant reference to the organic nature of language uh, is is just one thing. We look at uh, I suppose, parallels. So let's take, for example, if I'm teaching the Aeneid and we're looking at the Emperor Augustus and his use of propaganda as an exercise in rebranding himself and perhaps comparing that, we can look at propaganda more widely 
and and what that entails. I don't necessarily pick a side, but it's understanding the nature of that as an issue uh, and how literature and art can be used for political leverage. But then also, I, I so I run a, a club as well, which uh, which I really enjoy. It's called Thunks. Um, it just means I get uh, yes. to ar- just I just get to argue with children, yeah. and so and some of those by continually playing devil's advocate allows you to put things out there, and and so one of many questions we've had recently was should we get rid of the word terrorist and just call them criminals or murderers and it's a simple simplistic question it's something that oversimplifies a very complex issue but by constantly playing devil's advocate and exploring that question it allows you to dig into what is actually quite a complex moral political concept with a group of children in a really sort of i suppose safe and controlled way Sounds like you're modelling the uh, Socratic questioning approach. <laughs> I, <laughs> Love I, it. Cla- classics all the way through. Yeah, Don't stop man. there. If Matt. I could get to the end of my career and be compared to Socrates, that would be a great thing. Well, Just... do you know what? It's going to start here today. Yeah. Let's hopefully <laughs> that, that, you know, you get, well, we want to, don't want it to end in the same way. So, I mean, obviously, Matt, we've heard so much about your passion and mm. everything that you're doing at school and particularly how you are actually sort of leading this initiative as well. But mm. what about outside of school? Because, you know, you talk about modelling and uh, as they yep. say, there's probably a lot that you do that is it's not about being the classics <laughs> teacher in the classroom yeah uh so how do you maintain that sort of work-life balance what, what else is going on and you also mentioned as well when you moved down uh your wife as well and yeah. she works at the school i i also believe yes yes she does uh so yeah my my wife moved here with me we both came head of departments together i was head of classics and she was head of french uh we now both do different roles i'm director of learning and uh, my wife is head of year currently head of year 11 and Yes. The work-life balance, you know, two teachers working in the same school, living at the same school. How does that work? So for me, I always knew that working at a school like this would be very intense. And it's one of the reasons why I love working here. It requires commitment from me. And that's commitment that I'm happy to give because of the relationships it allows me to foster with the children here. It does mean, though, that in terms of managing that balance, it is it sounds really simple. It's just sort of self-imposed rules. There is a cap that I will just set on how much work I will do beyond a certain time or, or to do at home. You know, we work at the weekends and so it's not a straightforward, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday type job. But if possible on a Sunday, you know, I will always try out and get a run in or something like that to just sort of get outside, get out of the house and go for a run. I mean, the other thing as well, I suppose, is that we, we have two young children. We've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. <laughs> so yeah, okay. that forces us to not talk about work and it forces us to do something that's not work-related. And I think that that's a really helpful thing for the both of us, I suppose, to stay grounded. They need our attention and it's a really nice way to be able to to separate those two things. Sounds brilliant. Well, I could. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah, so, so running as well. Is, is running another mm. of your passions or do you do uh, running as a... I, you know what? I'd like to think yes. And it is a bit of a cyclical. It's not cyclical. It's sort of a bit like a sine curve. It goes up and down and up and down. <laughs> I, I do enjoy running. There's something, you know, that I find very relaxing about it. It's a good way of sort of clearing my head. I'd be lying if I said that I was consistently super committed to it. And sometimes that's just sort of, you know, the nature of the academic year during the school holidays, I can do loads of it. And sometimes during term time, I can do less of it. You know, I do like to do that, but you know, we have a, I'd like to say a really high performing staff football team here. Uh, I think for the vast majority of us, it's, it's an opportunity to stretch our legs once a week, which is quite nice to do. And yeah, you know, just just those little opportunities for being active, I suppose, still, it, it is quite important to me, yeah. 
Brilliant. Well, what a pleasure to speak to you today, Matt. And thank you so much for sharing your passions, your interest, and also just sort of reminding us um, some of some of the actually important things that are going on at RHS as well, and also in education generally. Thank you very much. And that was Matt Routledge, Director of Learning at RHS. Thanks to Matt for coming on the show and to all of you for listening. Head on over to follow RHS on Facebook or Instagram for the latest news and make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. So until next time, thanks for tuning in.